Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Craig Doyle, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. On this week's show, we welcome Springboks and Bath flanker Francois Lowe and New Zealand and Wasps back Charles Piatau. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Ben Kay, Ugo Monia, Sarah Elgin, and our studio guests. Big show for you tonight, so we've got two very special guests. You've seen them already, two superstars for the Southern Hemisphere. First up to talk to us tonight, though, is the Springbok who got bath hot. It is Francois Lowe! Thank you, Piper. Uh, So, Francois, I was thinking about you over the weekend. I was watching the rugby on the telly, and I was thinking at the final whistle at Welford Road, you were thinking, oh, I'm so glad I'm doing rugby tonight on Monday night so I can talk about the game Uh, all over again. Pretty much exactly my thoughts after the game. Uh, Obviously not a good weekend for us. It was tough out there at Welford Road. Uh, Hell of a game, really. Uh, England's finest weather as well, which is always nice. Um, But definitely puts us in a tough spot now. Are you able to just say, OK, we'll deal with that, we'll have our video sessions, we'll have big training sessions during the week and just kind of move on and you, and you, when you're away from the rugby pitch? Can you do that? Yeah, well, obviously there's work to do. Uh, you have to move on, uh, <laughs> but also you have to review and, and make sure that, that lessons are learned. Um, you know, we made errors. Uh, I think uh, we've definitely got ourselves to blame, um, you know, uh, but there are opportunities to rectify that and I think that's obviously what we'll be focusing on coming this week and going into this weekend's game against, against Saints. Okay, shall we park Bath for a minute and talk about yeah. the Rugby World Cup? <laughs> because you went on a bit of a ride during those, what was it, five, six weeks of the few speed bumps, not well, one major speed bump, actually, that being Japan. Um, so now that you've, got time, you've had time to reflect, do you look at it as a disappointment or do you actually look at it as a, as a bit of achieve, an achievement after you know, how it all began, if that makes any sense? How do you look at it now? Yeah, obviously, going into the World Cup, we had high hopes. You know, we, 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 we weren't there just to compete, we wanted to win the thing. Um, you know, and we really be- believe we could. Um, hell of a start, really. Obviously, going down to, Jap- going down to Japan, um, you know, but credit to them, you know, they came out firing, they played a hell of a game and, uh, you know, beat us in the end. But I think what was important from that, you know, really had a, had, a, had an opportunity to either, 
you know, regroup, move forward or, or, or bow out of the tournament. And, you know, the way that the guys pulled together, responded to that, the way we pushed through the, the pool, one-off pool, uh, and, you know, semi-finals, two points in it, really tight. Um, you know, I wouldn't say we're happy with that, but uh, there's always a disappointment that's that one that kind of got away. Can I talk about the Japan game just for a moment? And how lonely did that feel to be a Springbok at the time? Because essentially the world celebrated one of the biggest upsets ever. For their first game in the pool, Japan, you, you, you could not watch a World Cup game in Japan. After the Springbok win, 25,000 people watched their next what match. <laughs> 25,000 25, in my house. Wow. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Maybe it was 30,000. 25 million. <laughs> but the reaction was incredible, and, and, and the world just kind of joined in on Japan's side. How did it feel to be part of the Springbok camp during that time? Yeah, look, obviously it wasn't great for us. Um, you know, big disappointment, especially in South African rugby history. Uh, but, you know, from an outside perspective, globally, for the bigger, the bigger picture, the brand of rugby, I mean, awesome for a, for a, a so-called second-tier nation to to front up at a World Cup and uh, you know knock the Springboks over, fantastic for them, fantastic for rugby, uh, and you know hopefully that that really ignites a little spark What's in Japan. That's going to be the World uh, Cup for, for you guys because you obviously did a lot better than England and, and and got right through. But was that that moment where you sat down as a team and addressed it, or, or was it just that we can put that behind us? Because certainly 2007 after South Africa. It gave England their biggest ever beating. The, the players sort of, the pressure came off a little bit and the players got together and said, well, well let's just simplify things, go back to a very easy game plan. Was, was there that sort of meeting with you guys? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a crisis meeting uh, the next week, but there was definitely a, a big sit down, you know, really had to regather. I mean, we worked very hard in the preseason. Uh, we, were, we were well prepared, we were well conditioned, uh, you know, everything was perfect going into the World Cup. And to, you know, to have a setback like that, to be be knocked down like that, you know, calls for a big, uh, big reaction uh, from the side, um, a big response. Um, so it's more about that, you know, just perhaps going back to our basics, making sure that we're clinical in all the, you know, the simple areas of the game. Um, and then you know, when the time comes, you know, having the trust uh, in the players that they'll recognise opportunities and, and play to their best and play to their flair. The, uh, the semi-final in Twickenham was just such a wonderful test match. I know you came out the wrong side of it, but uh, your memories of that experience and, of course, playing against the great man before he hung up the boots, Richie McCall. Yeah, uh, awesome occasion. Um, you know, with South Africa and New Zealand, there's always that, 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 that rivalry. You know, there's, there's nothing bigger uh, for us as a South African you know, to play a test match against the All Blacks and, and even more so you know, on a World Cup stage at Twickenham in England, uh, my backyard. Over the last few years, um, you know, absolutely amazing. Um, it was a hell of a tough game. Um, you know, they, they they got away with it in the end. Two points it was really tight, uh, but you know, definitely one of the, the best games I've ever been involved in. Uh, I'll be in the in the rugby memory bank for a lifetime. And let's talk about that forearm, because apparently you thought you'd hurt yourself by being kicked on or whatever at the bottom of the ruck. Did you not realise that Richie had caught you as he as he kind of went past you? Because. Um, yeah, look, I, I got the cut from another incident, actually, okay. uh, a few moments before that. Um, you know, I, I saw the incident. Uh, at the time, I didn't realise what happened. You know, I came off the field and realised there was a big fuss about it. Uh, but, you know, that's really what rugby's about. Um, you know, we're all, all gentlemen off the field, or at least try to be, and on the field, we, uh, we go each other's necks and uh, try and take each other's heads off. So, uh, you know, obviously a, a fantastic player. You know, he's part out of, out of uh, you know, his career now. Um, you know, one of the greats. Uh, it's been awesome to play against them. And, uh, you know, obviously from our side, wish him, wish him well, whatever he chooses to do next. That's not, I thought that was an original McCaw then on your head. That's not. No. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not an original McCaw. Okay. Um, yeah, different incidents. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
12 years, Francois, still no win for Bath at Welford Road. Although you did have an opportunity to go for a losing bonus. You had a kickable penalty. You opted to attack. Mike Ford looked furious. He said in the press conference later that you were going to talk about it on Monday, talk about the decision on Monday. It's Monday. You've been in. What did you talk about? What did he say? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, uh, reviewing the whole game, uh, you know, hindsight uh, is a perfect science. Um, you know, lots of opportunities we had. Uh, you know, I think we, we played pretty well up until about the last 15 minutes. Um, you know, kind of led Leicester come back into it, and they, they took their, their opportunities and, and, and dominated us towards the end. Uh, you know, with regards to that penalty at the time, you know, as, 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 as Stuart, the captain, and with, with uh, you know, with some of the other leaders on the field, you know, we decided, uh, you know, we were on top of them and felt we could get the points, you know, perhaps going for a touch, uh, getting a maul in there. Um, you know, it wasn't, wasn't to be. Um, you know, then obviously, then you say, well, why didn't you go for the post? You know, you could have got that, could have got three points there. At the time, we felt that was the right decision. We backed it. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, didn't work out for us, um, but yeah, still very disappointed. We, we still haven't won there. I'm not sure I'd like to see Mike Ford angry though. What's he like when he's angry? Was he angry? <laughs> Bad space. Uh, he was pretty angry. Um, <laughs> not a nice guy when he's angry. <laughs> but uh, you know. your ankles. But didn't watch many of the games then outside of the. Uh... Your, your own ones then. There were a couple of other examples where decisions like that were made <laughs> over the World Cup. I don't know if anyone recalls any of that. We won't dwell on it. Okay, leave that. Um, let's talk about Bath at the moment and, and where they are. Is there a slight World Cup hangover there, perhaps? I mean, really good squad. We know, you know, things will get stronger and stronger over the course of this season. Five games, though, two losses, uh, three losses, two wins. What's the state of mind there at the moment? What's well, obviously, obviously not, not good enough from our side, you know, coming off the back of, uh, you know, a, a solid season last, last year. Um, you know, getting to the finals, not doing the job there, but, uh, you know, in a strong position, I don't think we, we've quite reached that potential again this season. Uh, a slow start, really. Uh, World Cup's um, sort of thrown things out of perspective and, you know, made the, the build-up to, to this year's season slightly disjointed. Players uh, sort of coming to the squad later and later. Um, you know, not quite where we want to be. A few things we need to tidy up on, um, you know, but it's early days. Uh, although we do find ourselves in a tough position, we're going to have to, to climb back out of there. Saints up next, isn't it? Sorry. Yeah. No, Sorry. no, 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 you go, yeah. you go, yeah. No, it is because they're in a kind of a, an interesting and similar place trying to find their premiership feed again. They're getting there maybe a little bit quicker, but... Yeah, well, it's, it's going to be another massive battle this weekend. You know, they're a, they're a, they're a solid team and they've proven that over the years. Um, you know, as you say, perhaps in a similar position to us, haven't quite fired this season so far. Uh, they'll be looking to do the same as us. You know, they'll be looking for a big victory, especially a victory away from home. Um, for us back at the wreck, you know, time to regroup as a side and, uh, you know, hopefully get one over them. Yeah, and Toulon, when's that, when's that happening now? Is um, it's 8th, 9th and 10th, yeah, I think, in January, day. yeah. Um, can we just have a quick line, though, on, on Leicester for a moment? Interesting, some of the quotes from Aaron Major since he came in, and there's a really nice one. He said, part of my philosophy is to use every blade of grass available, keeping the players on their feet in training, run dynamically. There's a huge shift in, in, in philosophy there and, and strategy, isn't there, Ben? I, th I think it's been noticeable, and, and yes, we knew Aaron would want to play a more expansive game when he arrived at Leicester compared to what Leicester we're used to doing but um, I, I think the the intensity has certainly been in there you look at how some of the forwards were carrying at the weekend and, and some of the hits going in it certainly seems like there's more excitement uh, around Welford Road this year and, and um, I think I think there'd be cause sometimes when a new coach comes in it's very difficult to implement a change in styles and I think actually Leicester will be pretty happy with how quickly the, the players have adapted to it. 
Yeah, I completely agree. But I think he's there to supplement everything which Richard Cockrell does. You look at the identity of Leicester, and it's about set piece. They haven't lost that. Haven't lost the intensity in their defence, the scrum, the line-out. But it's just expanding that game and just take it, putting it, adding another layer to what they had previously last season. We haven't spoken about England and, and Eddie Jones and. Um... Obviously, uh, England Rugby announcing finally that uh, Eddie Jones is coming in uh, to replace Stuart Lancaster. Uh, some uh, got the guys here. Just want mind getting your opinions on a couple of things. We've got Richard Cockrell um, saying that uh, Eddie Jones can forget about central contracts. Do you think that's a good thing, Hugo? Or I mean, Richard Cockrell is right? obviously pretty uncompromising. I think this is one of the challenges which Eddie Jones is going to have to face, as well as getting to know the players. He's going to have to develop relationships with DORs. It's been going all right so far. We know what Ireland do and how they get protected a little bit more. But I guess Richard Cockrell, he's a club coach, and his best interest is for Leicester Tigers. And the other big issue that, that Stuart Lancaster uh, faced and, and Eddie Jones has, has commented on was the, the foreign player laws. And, and we know now that um, uh, Eddie Jones has changed his mind, now he's got the job and, and the, the, the foreign player rule will stay as it is. So exceptional circumstances, they can bring players in, but apart from that, not. Do you think that hampers... You're, you're obviously applying your parade at tr uh, trade over here, yet playing for South Africa. Do you think that hampers England or, or, or do you think it's a good thing for the league? Yeah, well, I think I'll be a hypocrite if I say it's a, it's, it's a good thing, uh, seeing as Africa picking me from this side. Uh, at the end of the day, I think you know, rugby is becoming a global game. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's difficult to tie players down to a, um, this particular competition, a particular club or union. Um, you know, players want to explore, they have the opportunity to play abroad. Uh, I think personally for my game, my game is only excelled by playing in the Premiership, by playing in Northern Hemisphere Rugby and in the Champions Cup. Uh, it's been awesome for my development and I think same so for many of the other players that are being selected from abroad. Um, you know, I understand the reasons behind wanting to keep players domestic and within the country and within the league. Uh, but, you know, there's opportunity to grow as players and individuals and to learn from other clubs, other sides, other competitions and, uh, you know, hopefully bring that knowledge, knowledge back to your, your, your country. Well, it was only a few weeks ago that the late, great Jonah Loma was in this very studio. He was so much fun. He entertained us all, told us some great stories. It's hard to believe that the great man is no longer with us. Jonah Loma, you'll be sadly missed by all of us. It's just a... Uh... I mean, you were with him that night and he yeah. was in such good form. And I just think so. we were just all marvelling with his, just his humility and his grace and, and just, I don't know, it just seems, it just seems bizarre because it was a whole different vibe in, in the studio that night. You know, everybody was just, I don't know, in awe of the great mm. man. It was just phenomenal and it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's just, yeah. Yeah. It is, but I, we're going we're gonna to keep him with us. In the, uh, in the rock and roll, so he'll be able to keep an eye on us, make sure we're doing everything right, so we'll stick that up there. <laughs> And there was a memorial, of course, There today was, in and, New and some of the greats of the game were at the memorial today. I mean, everyone loved this man. That's what's so, so lovely to hear, you know. University liked my word. Look, Tano Hamaga, Dougie Howlett, they're all doing the hack. I mean, they're incredible scenes, Ben and Hugo, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I look at Jonah, who's, he's one of my idols. I grew up wanting to be similar to him, who's the world's first global superstar, incredible on and off the pitches, listening to Eric Rush, you know, his eulogy today, and uh, he speaks volumes for how great the man is when you see the likes of Buck Shelford and 9,000 people turn up at Eden Park just to 
Look, um, just to celebrate the life, you know, um, what an incredible guy and, like you said, sadly missed. I think the other thing is that, you know, everyone will talk about this year being so special for New Zealand rugby with achieving back-to-back -back World Cups, but they've lost two great, great All Blacks and uh, it shows when all these guys come together how strong that, that uh, unity is behind that black shirt. Francois, isn't the, the hacker an amazingly powerful thing? Used before a game, it's terrifying. Used in a moment like that, it's incredibly emotional and powerful and spiritual, isn't it? Yeah, it's obviously a massive part of the, the all-black culture, of the New Zealand culture, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing to face when you're about to play them. Um, you know, it's got so much history, so much heritage, but it's, uh, I think it means so much more to the, uh, to the New Zealand people. And, uh, you know, for the rugby grace, you know, to do the hacker as a send-off for, for John Lomu is absolutely amazing and, and very special. Amazing to have him on our wall. Let's give him one more one final. Time. Now, Wasps fans opened a fantastic Christmas present not so long ago. He came in the form of a powerful, high-flying fullback. He is a 17-cap all-black. He is Wasps' latest superstar. He's our next guest. He is Charles Pitzhau. Nice to see you. Good to have you here, by the way. Thank oh, you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Um, what, an impressive, what an impressive character we have with us tonight. Yeah, right? representing Tonga and New Zealand in the 20s level. When every game he played for the All Blacks, but left his international career to play in Northern Ireland, which we will talk about in a minute, of course. Um, potential Justin Bieber fan. Or Bleeber? Bleeber. Bleeber. I believe. You're all over that as well, aren't you? Yeah, I believe. You like a bit of Justin, do you? Oh, yeah. JB. Okay. Um, and he's a fan of the Seattle Seahawks NFL, correct? Yep. There you go. I could go on. You but... could, you could. But you know, we won't go on about too much, but we'll just get it out of, out of the way. Your story so far and how you've ended up at Wasps, um, obviously an all-black and a very exciting all-black. You made the decision to go play your rugby in Ulster. That goes against the policy over in New Zealand, which meant you couldn't play super rugby over there anymore. You had a year free and Wasps kind of came looking because due to weird Irish policy, you couldn't go and play in Ulster because they had too many foreigners there at the moment. The oh, my goodness. Um, but how did that come about? So you have a year free, you want to play your rugby, how did Wasps match up with you? I guess um, just knowing that I was on the market, they, they came forward and there was a, um, a few other clubs, but you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity that Wasps uh, has given me and I'm um, you know, happy to be at the club night and playing some, some rugby with the guys. Had you not made that decision though to sign for Elsa, you could be sitting here now with a World Cup medal around your neck. Any regrets? Um, no, not one. I think there's, there's a lot of what-ifs and, and that was one decision or, kind of, I guess, possibility that I knew that I had to take um, in making this decision and, um, you know, another four years, maybe there's another chance. Uh... Sorry to ask you about it. We usually get to say it to Austin, so we just had to, uh, <laughs> yeah. we had to replace with someone. Um, give me your view on Wasps at the moment, because they are playing so well. Things seem to be coming together really well. There's a great attitude there, great mood in the club. What's it like? It's awesome, um, you know, just being a new person into the club, it's, uh, the guys, the coaches are real welcoming. Uh, there's a great team culture there, um, you know, a lot of the guys are a, a good mix together and there's a lot of talent and, uh, and I think a, a lot of depth um, in the club and so, you know, credit to the guys, there's been some good rugby being played and, and to the coaches that are, I guess, supporting us and, and, and uh, coaching us. And a lot of youngsters, I guess, and a lot of English youngsters with points to prove. And that makes a massive difference to a team, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it brings the edge with guys week in, week out, coming trainings or games, um, you know, really wanting to, to prove a point or to put a performance out there that um, you know, they can 
hopefully I'm playing higher honours. So. I spoke to you just after you beat Leinster um, over in the RDS, and not a lot of people do that. Uh, I'm not sure about kind of the significance of it at, at hit home with you. I'm sure when you got into the dressing room, the guys were saying, hang on, this is absolutely massive, and it really was. Yeah, I got uh, quickly updated about, you know, kind of the, the history and, and, you know, how big the, that game was and, and how good of a club uh, Leinster is uh, at their home. And so after hearing all the information, it, it kind of... Uh, you know, settled in and I understood quickly, um, you know, how, uh, how proud of the boys I was. I want to focus on Saracens for a moment and we'll, we'll pick amongst the detail of the game in a moment. But Francois, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on how they've changed three years ago. It was full of South Africans, Brendan Venter was there, of course, and slowly we're seeing a lot of the South African players leaving. Ernst Joubert obviously retired straight after the game. In fact, he starts his new job tomorrow in South Africa. But we might see a few leaving over time and there's a big English influence back in the club. It's an interesting kind of changeover, and it's been an interesting progression and the role of South Africans in that, hasn't it? Yeah, there's obviously been a massive South African contingent within this side over the last few years, and you know I think Saracens have really built a, a solid foundation. Uh, obviously, with a, an effective uh, sort of youth system coming through, I and mean, when you see the young players coming through now, the young uh, English players coming through and really imposing themselves. You know, a couple of South Africans leaving, and that's opening up spots for guys to 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 put up their hand. You know, really show their talents and uh, you know cement their, their 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 position in the side going forward. And uh, you know, so far it's been effective for them. You know, they're they're on fire once again. Once again, this I think season. it was a means to an end, wasn't it? Brendan Venter wanted to very quickly build a culture that was different to what had been before when they had the the big name stars that sort of came at the end of their career. He wanted to bring in um, some guys that weren't quite as big a names, but actually more of them to, to create this family feel. And they've certainly done that. Um, but they got that identity, if you like, very, very quickly. And now it's about filling that with their homegrown talent uh, as well and getting that mix of you know, learning from those sort of older South African guys that are, that are on their way out now. They have that ethos that, that everyone knows what Saracen stands for now. And, and actually, it's a really big recruitment tool because players, you know, they'll speak to people who've played at Saracens and, and things. And, you know, if, if you hear that, oh, it's a really great place to come and play, then, then if, if you're tossing up between two clubs to go to, you'll choose that one. Yeah, they've done well. Yeah, yeah and you're talking about you know the youngsters coming through, and it was amazing because Saracens made ten changes to the team that, that beat Ulster ahead of this weekend, which is, I don't think we realise how incredible that is actually to put a performance on like that. And and every week they do changes, and the standards don't seem to drop. And then you've got someone like Ben Spencer, he's made seven Premiership starts, and he had a phenomenal game. Yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant. Hasn't had that many starts, like you said, but you know what a massive injection he had within the game. Um, an outstanding player, he's a phenomenal goal kicker, but for me it was about his creativity. Um, everyone talks about Saracens and how pragmatic they are, but they do play exactly what they see, and this is exactly what Ben Spencer did with the opening try. Made, it, made a beautiful break from about 40 out, but then it was his composure and actual skill level to then chip across for Chris Ashton scoring his first try of the season. He's, he was the epitome of exactly what being a good squad player, and he's not a squad player, I almost sounds disrespectful, he's a fantastic player in a very competitive squad. Mm. Charles, just a, a quick thought from you on that squad rotation, because actually it seems to motivate players in Saracens. You'd imagine some players might get a bit downbeat when they're left out because another guy in their shirt. Seems to have the opposite effect with their players. Yeah, I think it's always um, it's, it's healthy competition, and, and if it's the way you perceive that. And I think at, at that club, it seems that you know they have that, and and it's working for them. And, and I believe you know um, if it's not already happening at, at a lot of other clubs, that you know it should be happening.
Right, guys, we have some questions that have been sent in. So the first one from Stephen Phillips, and it's to you, Charles. How did Wesley College persuade pupils to play in the pack? Surely everyone wanted to be Jonah Lomu on the wing. Um, I think back in school, Jonah started in the four-pack. Yeah. So I think coaches would, would tell players, why not start there and try and make your way up to the wing if you could. Great answer. Love that. Let's have a look at the next one then. Uh, it's from Michael Watmore. And what are Francois's thoughts on the South African coaching situation? Is Mayer staying or is Coatsy coming in? You might struggle to answer <laughs> all of that, but, but what are your thoughts on the coaching situation? Yeah, as, as far as I understand, uh, you know, the, the CEOs and the presidents of the unions are having a meeting on the 11th of December uh, to discuss what's, what's going to happen going forward. Um, you know, it usually happens in four-year blocks leading up to each World Cup. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty tough in South Africa. If you don't, if you don't come back with the World Cup, uh, it's not good enough. So he's obviously under immense pressure. I, mean, I uh, could see as you know, rumours that he's, he's, he's a possibility. Uh, um, so from my but side... But you'd be happy with both. They're both great blokes. Uh. Yeah, well, we played uh, under Heineken and we played under, under Alistair at, at the Stormers yeah. for, for five years. You know, I know them both pretty well. Uh, they're both great coaches and I think they can both do a good job. Good answer. Very diplomatically answered. Let's have a look at the next one. OK, this is from Chris Stocks. Uh, how many WASP players could or should be playing for England come the Six Nations? Uh, maybe we should ask both of you that. Um, probably the whole team, if they yeah. could. But uh, I think, you know, there's, there's some players that are... Uh, on the verge of, um, of on playing on that team, and I think uh, you know Elliot Daly is one of them. Uh, Christian Wade, uh, Joe Simpson, and uh, halfback there. A uh, guy called Nathan Hughes yeah. playing number eight, playing awesome rugby, and so you know there's definitely you know those guys that I think that could play. In Let, let's change the, the question slightly. How much of a change of personnel, playing-wise, do you think England need to get back to to where they want to be, and, and how much do you think it's just about readdressing issues with the squad they've already got? Well, I think ultimately uh, England and, and any nation, for that matter of fact, is, has an opportunity to, to, to start, start over, you know, start the new four-year tenure going up to the, to the World Cup. Uh, ultimately, you know, you need to select on, on, on merit, um, but you've also got the opportunity to build a squad to, to play younger players and push them through and, and, you know, really get them into the shape and into the, uh, the style of play that you believe as a coach is going to, you know, win you the World Cup ultimately. Um, it's an interesting time, obviously, um, and as, as Charles was saying, you know, the couple of Wasp guys are really putting their hand up this, this season uh, for England selection. One more question for you, Francois, and we'll, we'll get onto something with it, because it's something we hear a lot. What is an out-and-out out seven? It was big in England around the World Cup, but someone uh, here, Andy Devine, just asking exactly what is the difference between a six and a seven. So we've got the pitch, we've got a couple of sets of packs, so, so should we go and have a, a yeah, little, little chat about it? Come this way. We'll, we'll um, first of all break it down. What, what are the skill sets that, that your traditional, because I know things have changed now, but traditionally, what would you consider to be a six and a seven skill sets? Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, a seven's a, a more of a ball scavenger. A guy's going to play a little bit tighter towards the break time points, towards the rucks. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to get stuck and they try and turn ball over and definitely try and slow the opposition ball down. Um, there are those op odd opportunities where you can be a little link between the yeah. forwards and the backs. Uh, but, you know, going into a six roll, uh, you know, classic blindside flanker, you want a big guy, you want a strong guy. Guy's going to get you over the varnish line. Momentum's key and stopping momentum as well. We had an interesting little one over the course of the weekend with Harlequins because we saw Dave Ward, ordinarily he's a hooker, playing at seven for Harlequins, uh, dictated by injury, of course. But um, he tell you what, he's OK with a seven on his back, <laughs> Hugo, bad, isn't he? Is yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously had a bit of uh, joy there during the championship when he was down at Cornish Pirates. He played there last weekend against Cardiff in the Ameline Challenge Cup. 
18 tackles, 16 carries, six line breaks, a, a try assist. I mean, he's an outstanding player. You see his work from the weekend here. He really is an out-and-out -out seven. It's great for Connor just to have that kind of strength and depth. And he's kind of done the reverse role of Ashley Johnson. Ashley Johnson went from back row to hooker, and uh, Dave's kind of doing the reverse. But he's, he's so strong. We call him T-Rex at the club because he's got tiny little arms, but incredibly strong. Don't <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, he really is. But he, he, he is a scavenger, and you need guys like that on the pitch. Even as a hooker, he was turning over more than, than, than most sevens and actually you take away the scrummaging aspect and suddenly it gives him that extra energy to get around the field. So, you know, when, um, when you've got an injury problem, it's fantastic to have someone who can do dual roles. It's interesting because Ashley Johnson's doing the other thing. He's doing it the other way around to Wasps, isn't he? How, how's yeah. he coping with the move to hooker? Yeah, I think he's, he's doing a great job and, you know, he's still got that great skill set that he can show um, around, the, around the field. But I think his line out throws and, and the work he's doing in the scrums, I don't know much about scrums, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're getting good ball. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Chris Robshaw because he was really good this weekend and, and Conor O'Shea was singing his praises again, but this time as a six. He has played a little bit there. Well, he actually, he? he actually played the majority, well, not the majority, played, played a lot at six last year. But just war seven. seven I think, I think partly politically because everyone was talking about is he an out and out seven if you put a six on his back <coughs> suddenly everyone's going well even Harlequins aren't playing him at, at, at seven so look I, I think he has played well over the last couple of weeks it, it perhaps Hugo gives him an, an opportunity to focus on the, the things that he is really good at without that pressure of everyone saying you're not good enough at the breakdown yeah I think so uh, a six has kind of liberated him a little bit obviously disappointment is the World Cup he's come back from that and what for me I've seen in Chris he's playing outstandingly well and he looks like he's enjoying his rugby and you always play your best rugby when you're enjoying yourself Francois do we get too caught up in the six seven argument do you think yeah, I mean, obviously, there's always that debate. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter what numbers on your back at the end of the day. It's the, it's the type of game you play uh, uh, that makes makes a difference. And uh, obviously, the combination of players that you have, um, I think sometimes players might get boxed into perhaps trying to play a certain way when that style doesn't really suit them. Um, you just got to find your feet and trust that you know your style of play works for you and and, and fight to get into that role within the side. Um, you know, uh, for me, I've I've, I've played all around the scrum. Um, you know, lately, obviously, finding myself more at seven, uh, or most of the time, really, and that's kind of a position I've, I've, I've really, you know, tried to make my own and mould myself to that. Um, but it just kind of, kind of happens, you know. You can't sort of say, well, you know, I'm going to play to the ball or I'm going to be the big ball carrier. It just happens, and then you know, you got to have the trust that uh, you know your, your players around you and the coaches will see that and play you within that position. Well, Francois, before we were talking about the, the different roles between six and seven and traditional old roles, but now let's just have a look because actually, the, as the game's moved on, the, the roles have changed a bit and it probably depends a bit more on getting a balance throughout your back row. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, it's all about the combination at the end of the, end of the day. I mean, these days, you know, you find... Uh, you know, a six playing in an eight shirt, an eight playing in a, in, a, in a seven shirt, and, you know, vice versa all the way around. Um, you know, it doesn't always matter, you know, what kind of player you are, but it's, it's how well you can work together as a unit and be effective. Well, one of the big stories over, over the last few months, particularly at the World Cup, was the play, sides playing with uh, two open sides, so, so one on either side of the scrum. Obviously, Australia, the, 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 the biggest example, but you guys did it as well at the World Cup. Yeah, well, in the championship, actually, uh, yeah. myself and Heinrich Persoep, you know, playing, playing six, and, six and seven together, both traditionally open side uh, uh, flankers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again next week for more rugby insight and analysis. See you then. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.